Welcome to I Was Told There'd Be Food, a podcast by grad students Jen and Alex about all things academia and history. How do you get academics to attend anything? I mean, you would think promises of food, but some days it sort of seems like you can't even promise that anymore, does it? Uh, I was actually thinking about pumpkin pie, because it's almost Thanksgiving. Ooh, yeah, that is looking good. I would good. show up for pumpkin pie. Well, you should be so lucky as to be in our program here because we do a Friendsgiving every year for people who are not able to go home for it and all the graduate students get together and potluck Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's fun. I've done that before. It was good. I I don't think it's... I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of... I have to say, so here's the downside. We talked about cohorts and stuff before. The downside of nearing completion is that you spend a lot of time on your own doing your writing and stuff and I'm not TAing or anything so I'm not I don't really know the younger grad students all that well so for all I know they could be getting together but it's not it's not really my group of people anymore yeah it's a bad. yeah but it's kind of it is how it is like it's not a bad thing it's just how it goes I'm just looking forward to regular Thanksgiving with my family this year Homemade crust. You know, <laughs> should I should I give away my mom's secrets? Um, my mom doesn't really like uh, baking pies and crusts and stuff, and so the last few years she she lives near this restaurant that makes some of the best pie I've ever eaten ever. I have to admit it's great. It's really awesome. So she just buys the pies from the restaurant now. <laughs> I, I don't see any problem with that. Yeah. Somebody so, somebody worked hard to make it. I was going to say, so is it homemade? Uh, somebody crafted it, but not my, not my family. <laughs> so. That's okay. You can have other things to talk about when you get back with the family other than, you know, how, how was the turkey made and how, was, uh, how, how hard was it to mash the potatoes? I mean, these are conversations that I have over Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, I was going to say, like, who talks about that? Norwegians, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to be talking about at Thanksgiving dinner? Well, I mean, there's always the conversation of, oh my gosh, this is so good, whatever, compliments to whichever person made it kind of thing, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't... But you can only say that like 14 times before it becomes Before, before you have gauche. to dissect the, the uh, level of potato mash. Uh, you, no, you mix this in. You see, I, d I don't know how you maintain polite conversations with your families at Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> these are all pretty um, normal skills, man. Oh, don't really know where to go from there. So, uh... <laughs> well, we could uh, go into our other area of interest and concern for this week, especially with Thanksgiving approaching and lots of people at home asking about what is your life as a graduate student looking like? Mm. Yeah, I have to admit, like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to rub it in your, in your face or any of our listeners, but... I think I finished at the right time. Um, <laughs> I gotta say, looking at the future, bully for you, because for the rest of us. Yeah, so, um, you know, we have tried not to be overly political on this podcast, but the... Existential threat. The, right, but in particular, the House GOP tax bill is has the potential of being very devastating for grad students. And so we feel like it's something we need to talk about and we need to address. 
So today we're, we are getting political, sort of. Well, we're just telling you what's there, and we're not going to tell you what to do about it, except we are going to tell you to, like, you should be a bit freaked out. Yeah, be aware of what's in it, and then maybe consider people you might want to be talking to in your, say, state representative bodies or your representatives in Congress. So specifically, and this is something a number of people are probably already aware of, one of the major provisions of the House tax plan is that all of your tuition waiver funding as a graduate student would become taxable income. And for most of us, uh, this is money that we benefit from, but we never actually see. It's the university paying the university basically to allow us to get through money. Right. Right. We don't ever have control of this money. Yet, under these new provisions, you would be taking this amount of money, which oftentimes is actually more even than your stipend, your living stipend for the year, Mm -hmm. and turn it into taxable income. Uh, And this in and of itself would, for most people, put you in a higher percentage tax bracket than even some millionaires based on your proportion paid tax. Well, and so there are a lot of places that are looking at what does that look like if you're in the Ivy Leagues or a major East or West Coast university where tuition is higher or uh, possibly even your stipends are higher. And so it's pretty dramatic. But we were thinking more about, okay, but how does it affect us? Like the two of us are... In the Midwest, um, I'm at a smaller school than Alex is at, but we're both at, you know, state schools. Alex, I would say yours is a large state school. Would you I would agree? say it's a large state school. It's yeah. it's considered Big Ten, but in terms of funding for graduate students, it's usually more comparable to a Midwestern school than it is to, like, an Ivy League. Well, sure, um, but it's still a larger state school. Yeah. And then I go to a what it would be a mid-sized state school. So we looked a bit at um, what that means for people like us, because most of the grad students out there, most of the PhD students are in more similar situations to you and I than they are to those at, say, Princeton, like Forbes and Washington Post have covered that. And so a lot of the the bigger news articles are focused on those big university programs, but you actually went and broke down some of the numbers, didn't you, for medium-sized schools? So I went and looked at the numbers just because I wanted to know what the breakdown was for somebody like me. And so, uh, so here's some basic numbers. Um, and I'm only looking at PhD students. Um, I, I know master's is different, and there are some master's students saying it's not going to change my life because I pay for my tuition. Oh, don't I, worry. We'll get to that. Well, you're right. And it, it will change your life, but it, it has a very dramatic effect on particular PhD students because, as we've already talked about, hopefully you're you're funded and your tuition is waived. So at CMU... Most students can waive up to 24 credit hours per year. So I'm just going to assume that our student is taking the full benefit. If we do a bit of rounding, we can say that the tuition is about $15,000 per year. Now we do have a a spectrum for the stipend. The low end is $12,500. The upper end is uh, about $19,500. 
the reason for that is this, it's similar everywhere. STEM fields get paid more. Humanities get paid less. You fall somewhere in there. So let's just talk about the low end, though, because we are humanities. So uh, most of us are on the low are, end. Are getting the lower end, yeah. Yeah, somewhere in that lower end anyway. So right now, under the current tax plan, our taxable income for the, this student we're talking about would be $12,500. Under the GOP plan, the student's taxable income would jump to $27,500. Okay, that's huge jump. Mm-hmm. What does it actually look like? Based on your actual pay right now for federal tax, that student is paying about $210. Okay, fine. Um, that's 1.7%. If you lump in the tuition waiver, so those 24 credit hours that are waived as taxable income now, now that same student will be paying $2,220 in federal taxes. That's 17.7%, or you can think of it as 10.6 times the current tax rate. Interestingly, that is also even higher than the person at the higher end of the stipend range will pay, a, they'll pay more in you know, actual dollars, but less percentage wise. So it's very regressive. It is putting a much higher tax burden on those making the least. On Yeah, on absolutely the poorest people. And, and comparatively, this is on the practical level, just completely unfeasible. I don't know anybody, certainly no one in the graduate student's position who could make rent, let alone all the basic other expectations of living costs when you take away essentially 20% of their income. Right. And we're still not even talking about the other taxes you pay in, right? Like we're not talking about state and local taxes. We're not talking about the money you pay in for Social Security and Medicare, those taxes that you you also have taken out before you get your paycheck. So also they're going to remove the deductions that you normally get for date taxes and things like that. So even so not only are you still paying more than this amount out of your taxes, but you're probably paying even more if we were to compare all the nuances, which for the sake of our podcast, we're not doing. No, no. But it is worth bringing up that there are a number of aspects of both of these tax plans. The Senate's plan, somewhat less so, but both tax plans are very much geared at stripping down education as a viable option for the majority of Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I made the comment after seeing the tax plan a couple of weeks ago first release that this will essentially eliminate a, a majority, a vast majority of the graduate student positions in this country. It will just overnight make them completely financially unfeasible. Mm-hmm. But in addition to the other regressive elements, there are smaller things, too, which are going to affect many of us. For example, um, the House plan, though not the Senate plan, would end the uh, deduction that you can make on your tax return for the first $2,500 a year you make paying down your student loans. It would basically axe that entire program and disincentivize anyone from putting any money, any extra money that they might be able to write off into their student loans. For someone like me, who is, again, not making very much as a graduate student, I can afford to put in a couple hundred dollars a year to keep my interest rates down to nothing because of this kind of option. Um, You axe it, and most of these graduate students who are already in 
very difficult financial positions are going to be even more underwater in terms of student debt. Right. It's the how I thought the Senate plan was getting rid of the student loan deduction. Uh, no, as far as I can tell from looking at it, okay. they are keeping okay. that deduction. Okay, I believe you. I just the major the major differences um, between the Senate plan and the House plan. The Senate plan, with regards to education specifically, is keeping the endowment tax, which is any university mm -hmm. that has uh, endowment funds of two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more per full-time student would have to pay a 1.4% tax on that income. This was actually upped from what was originally any university who has an endowment of $250,000 to $250,000 per full-time student, specifically because there was an outcry of so many universities who have what, I mean, $250,000 is a very modest sum in many ways overall for a university. But it's the sort of fund that allows people to actually have programs and library resources and access to journals. Mm -hmm. The Senate plan, as it looks, would only affect the largest of universities, your Harvards and Yales and etc. But it's still, it still seems like the sort of place where you're not, you're not really affecting very much tax revenue in favor of what damage it does to educational institutions. Right, because you're going to wind up with a brain drain. You're going to, right now, we are sort of that educational beacon when it comes to higher ed anyway, and we draw a lot of students from other countries. That's going to end. Um, and not only is that going to end, but other countries are going to start drawing American students away because of their affordability. And when you have students leave, you always have to wonder if they're even going to come back. Are we going to now lose those people, you know, permanently? And there's, there's this concern in terms of you could look at it from a business angle. Um, what happens if the brain drain does occur and you are unable to get people, even in just, say, the STEM fields, which everyone likes so much, what happens if all of your engineering specialists and medical specialists and digital technology specialists are all starting to go elsewhere because they get a more affordable education, uh, they're in an environment which actually prizes learning and innovative thinking? You are you are going to just see an economy in the United States that will continually shrink because mm -hmm. even service industries, let alone manufacturing industries, won't have anything to go on. Yeah, I mean it's it's really disturbing how badly that can affect uh, more than just students. Like, I mean, even if you're listening and you're thinking, "Well, I'm not a grad student. This isn't. I don't care." Well, you probably care something if you're listening to us, but. But, you know, or you know somebody who doesn't think it matters because it's such a, a small section of the population, it's really going to have ramifications that are going to ripple. And it's it will take time to see it, but it's going to have some devastating consequences that are going to potentially then take generations to fix. Or, you know, we could realize this is a really bad idea to shift so much tax burden onto students, preventing people who have innovative ideas or, you know, a creativity or... Or a healthy respect for asking questions about the way we right. do things. yeah. To be analytical. Exactly. And we're going to 
to prevent them from getting education or drive them away. And, and that's a really sad thought. Well, it's really sad too, especially when there's so much rhetoric from, from certain political circles in this country about empowering the individual in terms of individual freedoms and protecting those individual freedoms, protecting the ideal of a, a middle-class lifestyle, um, self-reliance, you know, not having to worry about people that are being taken care of by the government. Mm -hmm. This is a big rhetorical point for so many people. And, and yet, and yet, so much of the policy seems directed at exactly this idea of regressive tax, of let's stick it to the poor and the middle class so that the wealthy can benefit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed this morning, and we won't spend a lot of time on the politics of the rest of the tax plan, but NPR came out with a report about the sense that most of the uh, reduced tax rates for people on the middle and lower income brackets would actually be temporary, whereas most of the corporate tax breaks would be permanent. Uh, most right. of the individual ones would expire by 2025, whereas the corporate tax breaks, permanent. So, I mean, there's a lot that's that's a problem. And with the Senate trying to use it to eliminate the health care mandate, that's going to negatively affect um, grad students as well. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I I've had to buy private insurance and, you know, my husband was a grad student and my job didn't offer benefits. It's not affordable. You pay so much money and our insurance was for accidents and catastrophes and still then our deductible was so high, like we wouldn't have even been able to pay for that anyway. So you're just, you know, living on a hope and a prayer. That's not medical care that doesn't help. And, and you know, the grad students don't generally take that great of care of themselves anyway. We work too hard. We don't always eat well. We don't always sleep well. I mean, to lose access to health, affordable health care is going to be pretty devastating as well. And that would be if the, if the Senate plan is used. The Senate plan is not trying to tax the tuition waiver, but it's like, it's not like that plan is better for grad students. No, and it's, it should way. also be said that with both plans potentially passing, one in the House and one in the Senate, there would need to be a compromise bill. They would need to come together on single language and then vote for that particular bill in the House and Senate again. But there is momentum. And there's nothing that says they won't keep both of these provisions in. That's the other thing. That's like, the other problem. You know. Right. There's a lot of momentum as soon as you're able to pass one of these horrible bills. I do want to share, like, I mean, this really struck me. Um, Ethan Siegel contributed to Forbes. And I just, when he wrote this, I, it just stopped me in my tracks. And I do feel like it is worth putting out there. This is Siegel. He wrote, if the goal of the new tax plan is to shift the tax burden from the wealthy older Americans onto young, already indebted students pursuing their higher education dreams, it's poised to be a smashing success. But from the perspective of someone who's been a graduate student, gotten their PhD, and then been a professor for many years, it looks like a ploy. The ploy appears to be to destroy higher education, to shift the tax burden onto the most educated rather than the most financially successful. Yeah, and this is Forbes. Right. <laughs> We're not reading Mother Jones or something here. This is Forbes, so... Being being able to come to terms with attacks on education, and it's not new. It's always been around in, in many respects in U.S. politics, but 
what we're seeing here is a moment of serious existential threat to the future of higher education. Smaller provisions, even in the tax plans, run into this. Like, there's the issue that uh, both plans are looking at axing the lifetime learning credit, which is uh, what allows people to make uh, tax-free savings dedicated towards being able to afford to go to college. You have the, the House plan would also disallow the forgiveness of student debt for anyone who dies or becomes disabled. So basically anyone who would not in any way, shape, or form be able to start making money to repay their student loans, it would not be forgiven. And, and you feel like so many of these programs will only dig the hole deeper for the average American. Anyone who's looking to go to college, anyone who's looking to take an opportunity to work hard and to make something better of themselves, which you would say is part of the American dream. So why do you have so many politicians who are trying to destroy that? And if they're not trying to destroy it, then what the heck are they doing? Right. Well, and I think that the thing is, I think people on both ends of the political spectrum can agree that there is something fundamentally wrong and broken about the American dream. Hmm. We're disagreeing on how to fix it. But I'm really hoping that enough people wake up and realize that this is not the way to fix it. Many people have reasons to be upset and many people have a different perspective on that. And, and that doesn't, and I don't want to say those perspectives are not legitimate. I, I'm not in your shoes. But this really can eliminate higher education as a possibility for so many people and drive so many people away. And we are known as a nation for being creative and innovative. And if we destroy higher ed, we're going to lose that ability as well. And that should worry everybody enough to call your representative and tell them that this is, this is not how to fix it. We get it. We need to fix things, but this is not the right way to do it. And tell your family about this, because for so many of them, they have only a limited window into the life of colleges or graduate students, especially. Right. They think we're in an ivy tower all the time. You hear that, or I, yeah, ivory tower. Ivory tower. Ivy tower. tower. One of the, it's probably there's probably ivy, but it's you know, <laughs> ivory. But in any case. Um, yeah, they think we're out of touch with reality and we get to live in this bubble where things are all happy and lightness. And, and that's not the real grad experience. You guys know that. We know that. So hopefully spend a little time this Thanksgiving in between the pie and everything else. Just Yes, hold on to the, the joy of pumpkin pie when you get sad. <laughs> add a lot of whipped cream and it'll be okay. <laughs> For that moment, yep. we'll be okay. Well, I'm glad, right. I'm glad there are at least some dream promises of food, but maybe we should move on to something a little less depressing. Right, like our inability to do history trivia. I mean, fun for all of them. Maybe depressing for you and I, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What do you got for me, Jen? All right. I actually picked a science-y one. Oh. Okay. It's not your time period. Oh, crap. So it's not going to be Galileo. All right. Okay. What Menlo Park residence 1931 obituary took up four pages in the New York Times? I'm going to guess it was Thomas Edison. You are correct. The wizard of Menlo Park and uh, electrocutor of elephants. 
You're really trying to just keep us down, aren't you? <laughs> no, no. It's just having having taught the history of technology surveys before, we end up talking about Edison and the idea of innovation a lot. And um, he's an interesting character. Really had some really interesting ideas about innovation, but it would not have worked without a decent public education system. Anyway, done harping on that point. Yours is um, fairly close to your time period. So what Woodward and Bernstein book topped the bestseller list five weeks before Nixon quit in 1974. Oh, God, what was the name of it? Was that the All the President's Men? You got it. Okay. Woo! Nice. This is the first time in weeks we've both gotten the trivia question correct. I know. It's like we're trying to prove they should let us be educated. Yeah, so we can entertain people on the Internet. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully you all have a lovely Thanksgiving and we didn't depress you too much, but I mean, it's our job to be aware and be critically engaged. So thanks for joining us this week. You can always contact us at academicsneedfood at gmail.com or tweet us at IWTTBFpod. Thanks to Brian Jones for our music. And it's time to go because we should be ready. ready.